So today, all right, you can definitely hear me. <laughs> today I wanted to talk a little bit about vision. Now we're going to start off with a couple of races. As you've heard, we're already talking about race. Now we're going to start off with two different races right now. The first one is we're starting off for a sprint. When we start off for a sprint, it's generally a straight line. Maybe it may be one quick Straight in front of me, I can see the finish line. It's up there. We're going to crouch down. We hear the gunfire, and we take off. And within a matter of seconds, the race is over. I saw it the entire time. I knew where I was going. It was Now we're going to start a marathon. I have a marathon. I'm going to start standing up. And I'm looking out, kind of like on But I don't see the finish line. I have to envision the finish line. I need to think about where I am going. I need to envision the course, the hills that I may be climbing, the turns that I'm going around. What obstacles may I face if I'm doing a mutter? <laughs> but what does that finish line look like? How do you envision the finish line of life? So I ask you, what is heaven to you? Here we see a finish line. Maybe we're appropriately dressed, maybe not. <clears throat> but I brought my running shoes today because we need to make sure that we're, we're properly outfitted. And then what kind of race are we running? Do we envision that we're running a sprint? Or are we in this for the long haul? A lot of times we think of heaven. It's a place full of fluffy white clouds. And like this angel there just sitting there and not falling to the ground. Gravity doesn't have effect anymore. Maybe wearing a white robe and wings and I'm playing a harp. <laughs> we see these paintings and... Do we really think of anything else? We hear about singing in heaven and praising God. And that we'll be doing this for eternity. But I got to ask you, does that excite you? Thinking of sitting in some clouds. It's understandable that it can be difficult to be excited when heaven is barely something that we actually are familiar with or, and it may not really sound exciting in that context. So we're going to bring up the question, what is heaven like? Some scriptures for Matthew 2.2 The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And then Revelation 19.9 And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Let's start envisioning this wedding feast put on by a king. 
A king would have the finest food. So think, right now we'll probably have some really good tri-tips, maybe some ribeyes, you know, good roasted corn. You know, think of a really good salad that, that you've enjoyed recently. Though, hey, if I'm in heaven, no salad anymore, right? <laughs> think of the decorations. What are the decorations going to be like? I mean, just amazing flowers that could be all around and just great adornment that's just amazing and over the top just lighting that would be everywhere it's in a grand dining hall that's the biggest dining hall you've ever seen with just there's no scratches on the walls and maybe just amazing giant pieces of wood that have been hand carved and then the music every time they play a song it's your favorite one what would you see there when you think that here we are, heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Nothing will be held back. It's going to be something that's glorious in celebration for that day. So how does this pertain to a race? So let's look into this race. For one, this is a wedding feast that we're invited to. And thinking about that, I don't get invited to a king's banquet feast every day. But this is one that we're invited to. So guess what? I'm running to this one. I want to get there. But right now, we're going to look into some stories to see the others that ran there and why did they run and see how this applies to us. We've heard already 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So think about that. We do not run aimlessly. When you run aimlessly, who knows where you're going to end up? But you know where you're going. But you need to remember where you're going. We are running to heaven, and we are running to the light of God. We are running to our finish line. Because you're either running to the finish or you're running away. <clears throat> Which way are you going? You are in control of your body. You need to make it work for you so that you are not tempted and you're not disqualified for the prize, as mentioned above. A lot of us may think right now, my body is not built for running. <laughs> or thinking of the, some of the different uh, characters in the Bible. I'm not qualified. I don't have the talent to do this. But let's listen to God speaking. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared... I like seeing God's vision for us in that statement. Because God said he prepared in advance. When you prepare for something, that's 
we are to do. God prepared for us. He was thinking of you along. We're going to look into Moses. God prepare and think for Moses. In Exodus 3.10, So now go, I am sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. For those of us that know the story of Moses, Moses immediately thought, I'm not the one. He had excuse after excuse that he gave God. However, God told him what would happen, and he told him in great detail. Moses ended up following what God asked. God's strength was shown in Moses' weakness. Look at the story, and we see how God had a vision of which Moses just needed to follow. Moses led his people to a new land and saved them. We know that in the end, the journey was long. It had a lot of obstacles, a lot of frustrations. There's a lot of doubt, and a lot of times, wanting to give up. But in the end, their people finished at home. Let's look at the story of David and Goliath. We heard that story read a little bit earlier. But again, I want to focus on a few key scriptures. So 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 48. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Right there we see that Goliath walked out. David was also walking out there to meet him. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give you flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Our life, we need to speak. Have those struggles and those triumphs, and we need to speak so that we know we're going to build up that confidence. And you're going to tackle. And the fight came. David ran. Can you imagine that? Here's this giant, whatever this they have. The last thing I really however, that is what he did. 
the confidence that he had in knowing who was in control. Probably my height, maybe shorter, who knows? Be shorter than me, but. <laughs> but the little guy facing this giant, he ran. Next, I want to look into John 11. This is the story of Lazarus. As we know, Lazarus was raised from the dead. And the family was confused. They were upset and saddened. Jesus Those around him did not understand. All right. So the story of Lazarus. A lot of the people around him did not understand. We see that Jesus wept. One was because of the loss of Lazarus, but it wasn't because he didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus wept because he was deeply moved at the hurt that death causes. But also as those that did not understand why he was there, the power he possessed over death was amazing. And this was a foretelling that Jesus had. Jesus was there to conquer death for good. We're going to read John 11, verses 40 through 42. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Jesus has shown us the victory over death. We need to trust him in where we are going. Next is the story of Esther. We know the story of Esther, where she is placed as a queen of a different uh, race or group. And she was in a position, typically, where women were definitely looked upon lower than men. And even in the court or the palace, at that time, she was not allowed to enter unless given permission beforehand. However, God had a plan for her. Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. So Hatchet gave Esther's message to Mordecai. And then Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. 
can only imagine in her place thinking of a position of inferiority, of uncertainty, lack of confidence, thinking that she might be able to have some pool for a king. However, God had a vision for her to fulfill, to save her people. It took encouragement from Mordecai to be able to encourage her to say, hey, maybe God put you in this place for this time. Can you think of the positions that you've been in or maybe God put you in that position for that time where you have influence, where you just need to say something or do something? What is your action? What are your words? When you read further in this story, Esther took this position so confidently that she was willing to do it even to death. We see time and time again the figures in the Bible that go and save their people. They continually think that they are not the one. They don't have the skills. I'm not the right stature. I don't have the position. I don't have the right look. Do I have the right education? However, we know that God says to go. They are running the race. There's lots of obstacles and trials that we have. How are we going to face them? Many times we think, I'm not the one to teach. I'm not the one to preach. I'm not the one to lead. I'm going to leave that to somebody else that has those skills or abilities. We have obstacles like marriages that are struggling. We have finances that run paycheck to paycheck, maybe further behind. We have relationships that don't go the way that we want them to. We don't have time. I'm too young or I'm too old. I'm not smart enough. I'm here to say stop it. Don't quit. We see don't quit, but when you remove what's in the middle of that phrase, the NT and the QU, what does it say? It says do it. Don't quit is kind of looking at the half glass empty mindset, that I just need to do enough just to get by. That's kind of the running the sprint, but do it says keep on keeping on. God completes you, as he did Moses and others. However, God has led us all that is part of the race. We know the race is not easy. The race is going to reveal many things to you. But the one thing it's going to reveal is change. It is the potential to be something greater. But this change can only take place by action. And what is that action? running. That action will strengthen you. It's endurance. It's going to allow you to impart something significant to somebody else. I ask you, what if you had a deadline? Would your conversations change with those you love, you care about, or meet? We know that God gives an abundance and he sees ahead. The vision is before us and he wants us to see it too. 
Do we trust him to lead us where he wants us to go? We need to follow and run in our weakness and let his strength be seen. How do we know that God wants us home? Here's a bunch of verses that I want you to listen to that talks about God preparing in advance for us. Romans 9.23 What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? 1 Corinthians 2.9 However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and who no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Matthew 25, 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by, my, blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then John 14, 2, 4, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place, the way to the place where I am going. Jesus tells us that he has prepared a place for us. Think about that. You specifically have a room that Jesus prepared for you. This is where we're going to change our mindset from thinking of that cloud sitting on there with playing a harp to the room that was prepared for you. What is it like? What are your likes? What are your preferences? What kind of furniture would there be? What are the smells that you're smelling in the air? What flowers would be around you? What are the tastes that you're tasting? The games that you might be playing? Who else is going to be there? We need to start envisioning this because this is heaven. Just think about the things that when you get there that Jesus put in your room that you forgot about, that you liked and enjoyed from your memories. Does that not make you desire to be there, to want to run there, to be where home is? I'm going to tell you a little bit about my room. <clears throat> my room's got a wall with floor-to-ceiling glass. And the wall looks out over part ocean, and then there's some snow-capped mountains. There's waterfalls that are running down the mountains into a glorious river that's got that blue-gray color to it because it's cold, and it's flowing down into the ocean. I smell lavender and warm oaks, because I love the smell of the oaks out here when, it's, when the sun's heated it up. And then there's that soft, salt air breeze coming in off the ocean. I love to sing. I'd be singing my favorite songs and learning amazing new ones. I'd have a really cool conversation with my grandpa. Ann Butler. You're going to be there. <laughs> and we're going to be laughing over her stories of riding on dinosaurs and being a stewardess on the Wright Brothers plane. If you haven't heard Ann's stories, they're amazing. And we're going to get to hear those. 
It's going to be full of joy surrounded by people that I love. How about you? Who are you going to be surrounded with? What is that room like? I'm excited to hear the Bible stories in first person. (laughs) That's going to be awesome. Getting to meet family that I've never met. I'm going to get into a description of heaven here quickly. I'm going to read Revelation 21. This is a description of the new Jerusalem. It starts off by saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I'm going to skip over from verse 2 now, over to start with uh, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, and the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height reached 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple." And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. The King of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We look at this description. Why is heaven so large? Why are all these jewels and gold? It's not a description for wealth or pompousness. Because when we think about it, there is no value in heaven placed on these things. This is God's beauty. 
and it's his, his creation, and it's poured out in abundance for us. He has prepared the best for us in amounts that we cannot fathom. Just think in the beauty of the grandness of heaven with an abundance of pearl, gold, jewels, etc. Praise team, you can work your way up. We are alive, not dead. We are running and we are not finished. Many of us think that we're finished, that we think we're finished and we're living like we are finished. But just because you are baptized or you have the faith does not mean you are finished. In fact, it means you just began. You need to run the race till you are finished. No one here listening is finished with their race. I ask you, let your eyes see his kingdom that he has prepared for you and run. A lot of times I ask, what have I done to deserve a love like this? I want to find out. Does it matter? Let's go. Put your running shoes on, lift your heads up, and let's look